Hey guys, welcome back. Today is, this is a really special one for me. Like, this is months in the making. And I owe a huge thank you to the survivor for their bravery and for trusting me and trusting you guys enough to tell this story. First off, trigger warning for domestic violence, stalking, child abuse. This is a heavy one, guys, but this is really important because the story that you're about to hear today, it's one that we as a society don't really talk about. We tend to shy away from it. We don't really share stories about same-sex, LGBTQ, domestic violence relationships. They're downplayed as catfights, or we force them into these heteronormative standards, or we just bury them. And that's assuming the we in this scenario isn't a homophobic POS, kind of like my abuser. <laughs> so once again, huge, huge thank you, thank you, thank you to the survivor for trusting me. And please remember, guys, that this is what Pride Month is all about. Not corporations selling you capitalism that they can then turn around and support anti-transgender legislation with barf. But it's about recognizing, honoring, and fighting for those who want to live freely, who want to be recognized as what they are, which is fully-fledged human beings. I know, right? The audacity. And that's what we need to do. We need these stories because there are survivors out there who have similar ones who are terrified to come forward. And you know how we can help them? By giving them the space where they can talk about it so that they know they're not alone. Giving them validation and supporting them in carrying their trauma. So join me today in supporting and validating this amazing person. And I hope you'll continue to show up and support more survivors even after Pride Month is over. Let's do this. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for <laughs> inviting me. Yeah, of course. I'm really happy we, uh, we got to do this. So if you don't mind, can you give us just as much detail about yourself as you feel comfortable? Yes, I am um, a married woman and I live in Texas <laughs> and I am actually 57 years old now, which is kind of scary to say out loud. And I work for a large corporation and that is all of my personal information that I share right now for this podcast episode. Yep. I feel like we should give you a code name. Um, I will call you uh, Tim. Tim, I like it. <laughs> First thing that came to my mind, okay, I'm thinking of like the Monty Python, like my name is Tim. I like okay. it. I like it. Yeah, we're going uh, UK humor today. So, Tim, uh, you are here today because um, you have uh, just an incredible, horrifying, but a, a story that we really need to talk about because it is one that we don't hear a lot. So, um, whenever you're ready, just 
we want to know about your experience because there are survivors who are like you, like me, who don't have these currently, and it will be really beneficial for them to kind of know they're not alone. Well, thank you for providing a safe space for me to share this story publicly on a recording for the first time ever outside of a therapist room. There are actually people that have been my best friends that I've never told this story to, and my husband doesn't even know about this. So once this episode comes out, I will share it with him. He does know that I have PTSD and our relationship is safe enough that he never asks me about it. But when I'm triggered or something happens, I just can joke and he knows I'm in an episode right now. So when I was 15, I had boyfriends and I had a girlfriend, but we had not kissed or anything because she was a good Catholic girl, but she was my manager at work. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, we became friends and that was like my first feeling of attraction towards a woman or a girl. She was a girl. And then I went away for summer school in an accelerated program. And I met this most amazing girl. And it was literally love at first sight. And I still can see it. It was when I was 16. So what, over 40 years ago, I still can feel it viscerally of that moment when I first saw her. And so we had six weeks of summer together. Again, we were just friends. It was very passionate and a lot of writing love letters. We didn't live in the same city. And so, you know, I was, uh, I would say very sexually active. I actually had a regular boyfriend, but then the girl that was the first girl that I liked, she got me a fake ID. And so I was working at a fast food restaurant. She was my manager and she, we had this fake ID for me. She had one as well. And I went to the gay bar and a customer of the fast food restaurant. Now remember, I'm in high school going to a gay bar and a woman who was a customer who worked near the fast food restaurant was there in the bar. She recognized me, she started talking to me and the next thing I knew I went home with her because I was supposed to be spending the night with my friend who my mother knew. 
Well, slowly but surely, this older woman overtook my entire life and I didn't have any friends. Now this is before cell phones and it's only regular telephones. So when somebody is obsessed and there's no cell phones and there's only landlines, there was a lot of showing up all of a sudden in the parking lot of my high school, at my work, but my family life at home wasn't strong enough that I could tell this to anybody. So I already had my life in motion because I had already applied to college in another state. I already had joined the Army Reserve, so I already knew I was going to be leaving. So in my mind, as bad as it was, you know, especially when she was showing up everywhere and anywhere and wouldn't let me hang out with my friends during my senior year, I knew that I was going to be leaving, graduating high school and getting the hell out. Well, because of her showing up everywhere, you know, it's my senior year of high school. I'm on the student council. I'm very popular. I'm very smart academically. I had a lot of visibility. People started talking about me that I was gay. Your senior year of high school, that's not what you want either. When your boyfriend was like a baseball player athlete, <laughs> you know, so my graduation day, actually, I got shunned by several people because that was the big talk of graduation was that I was a lesbian. So I'm going to basic training in clear across the country. You are not supposed to get phone calls like I couldn't even call my mother. My mother didn't know where I was because I couldn't call her. This woman tracked me down to the base. And this was before don't ask, don't tell. This was like you would get kicked out during your sign up for uh, the military. They asked you, have you ever been in a homosexual relationship? And you have to lie and say no. So she tracked me down and I get called to the captain's office for an emergency phone call. And my heart sank because I just knew something had happened to my mother and my brother. And I say, hello. And it's her. Don't ask me. But this shows the mind of somebody who is intent on finding somebody who has joined the military and not even the family member knows where they're at yet, that they, she managed to track me down. That is how relentless she was. So somehow I made it through basic training, even with all the many phone calls that she would do 
that I wasn't allowed to take. Fortunately, maybe I want to say that there was an angel in the military that maybe they realized something funny was going on because it was too many phone calls and they stopped doing the phone calls, but it, then I would have to call. But I was actually very worried that she would get in her car and drive across the country and show up at my basic training, which would have been horrendous. So after basic training, I go to start my freshman year of college and I'm so excited because I'm gonna start living my dreams and maybe she's gonna go away. She'll find somebody else. She's, she'll go to the bar, she'll find somebody else. And she had been physically rough with me but it was more emotional and closing down my world. So I start college and we have a whole phone. My very first night, two in the morning, I live in a dorm, two in the morning, the phone is ringing and ringing and ringing. And I finally, I was like, I know that it's her. I hadn't called her yet. I hadn't given her the number, but of course, since she knew what college I was going to and they had a switchboard operator at the time, 24 hours a day, she was able to contact me on my hall phone at two in the morning with all the other people sleeping. My classmates won't know this, but I started unplugging the hall phone at night so that it wouldn't wake everybody up because not only then was she calling that hall phone, she was starting to call the library when I was in the library studying, or she would call the other buildings because there was always a phone on each floor of the college. It was a small college and you could call it anywhere and somebody would say, oh yeah, I, I saw Tim over in the science building then the phone in the science building would ring, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, at this college also, it was very closeted. So I couldn't even make friends with other people who were in same sex relationships because they couldn't afford to be out either. So I was living in silence, suffering in silence, no one to tell, nothing. I couldn't do anything. So when I went home for my Christmas break, unbeknownst to me, she had bought us tickets to Hawaii. I hadn't seen my mother, you know, since June when I graduated, or my brother, she had bought airplane tickets to Hawaii for us for a week and a half of my three-week break. And my mother was like, what is wrong with her? What is, what's happening? And I couldn't say anything to her. But 
I had a plan once we got to Hawaii. <laughs> there was going to be a horrible accident while we were in Hawaii. Because in my mind, that was my only way out. I'm newly turned 18. I've had family violence my whole life. <laughs> and for somebody who already was living with depression and post-traumatic stress, it's easy to understand why a person would think that the only way to escape is for something to happen to the other person. Well, I didn't do anything, obviously. And um, that was the first time that the violence escalated. And so, you know, we have me already growing up abused. Then I happened to fall into this abusive same-sex relationship, which you never heard anything about. And you still today do not hear about same-sex violence. So I go back on my break, after break, actually my mother and I, before I leave, she said, what is going on and what is your relationship with her and why does she have so much control over you? And I basically told my mother the truth and I told her about some sexual abuse that had happened outside of our family that she didn't know about. And I said, look at how we grew up. This is January like 4th. I go back to college and I get a phone call while I'm babysitting from my roommate and I assume, of course, it's this lady. No, it was actually that my mother was in the hospital. So after I had this conversation with her, not even two and a half weeks later, my mother was in the hospital. So I finished babysitting the kids. I went back to college. I packed up all my belongings and they collected money for me so I could fly home the next day. Well, she picks me up, takes me home. I'm, and that day, you know, was okay. So it ends up that my mother actually passes away and this lady who had like zero <laughs> compassion <laughs> wanted to have sex that night. And so that was the first night that I had to have sex with her. 
on the night of my mother's passing when I didn't want to, because if I didn't, then it would have been physically violent. So I chose the lesser evil of the two, I guess. So um, she did the same thing on the night of my mother's funeral. And there were a couple of other times when that happened as well. Well, I had to work and quit several jobs because of her coming around and my bosses, you know, and I lost my mother. <laughs> then I'm, she moved into my house too. Like she took over my whole life. She moved into my house and I was trying to figure out how am I going to take care of my brother my father ended up taking him to another state and so for over a year I lived like this and one night I finally told my next door neighbor and she was a woman in her 80s she had seen stuff with my mom and dad and I told her and she called the police one night and you know they didn't do anything because two women. It's a cat fight. An 18 year old. So what? Back then, you know, I, I think they still react that way today. So I think my inner spirit finally had enough because, again, I was starting to think there's only one way out of this. And that's to cause harm to another human being. But one day I was with, I had just fed my dogs. I had come back into the house and she was there. And she started pushing me and shoving me. And I can't tell you anything, but I remember I blacked out. I lost, I don't know where I went, but when I came to, she was actually on the ground and had a bloody nose. So I think that my mind couldn't take it anymore. And I left my house and I went to the girl who was my first girlfriend and she and I had managed to stay in touch and she let me move into her house and I hid there for two months in her house and she basically kind of took care of me. In the meantime, my mother's attorney, I talked to her and she got me hooked up with a restraining order. Well, that restraining order sounds good in theory, but it did nothing, nothing. So I'm not living in my own home. 
I have people going to take care of my animals. I can't keep a job because she's driving around looking for my car and all of that. And I have a restraining order that doesn't hold water. So what does somebody do next? They get a stiletto knife for safety because I have to be able to work. I have to be able, like I need some normalcy in my life somehow, some way. And slowly but surely, I can't even tell you how many times I had to call the police, but she got smart. She knew I would call the police and she would take off before they would get there. Because again, it was before cell phones. And so when you call 911 on a landline, they didn't know where you were calling from back then. So this went on for over a year and a half. And as a result, I would not use my full name anywhere because I didn't want her to find me. I eventually did go back to my college, but I don't use my last name. For years, I hid all of my personal information because I just didn't want her to find me because I just had this sense that she would. Well, eventually, I did have another girlfriend <laughs> and uh, we were together actually for 14 years. And then um, that ended. And so then I met my husband. Well, I would say probably, I don't know, at some point, I got a message on Facebook from her and my Facebook has been on lockdown, only friends. So I'm like, how did she find me? <laughs> well, my first girlfriend had unknowingly accepted a friend request from her because she, in her mind, after what, 30 years, Nobody is still wacky and after this person. So she sent me a message and that was, you know, I was like, wait, why did you accept her as a friend? You know, we had to have a talk about that. And I said, can you unfriend her? Because she found me and this is what she said to me. And so I just, I'm going to share this because I feel like for people that have never been in an abusive relationship, whether it's emotional, physical, or sexual, they cannot understand the fear and the trauma and the ways that the survivors have to close down their life from social media posts to who has your address, county records, car registration, etc., to have some sense of security or a false sense of security. So let me see if this message is still in here. 
somewhere because after all that was over, I didn't respond. I didn't say a thing. And I said, well, maybe this person is healthier now. Well, I will admit that I did because they sent me the Facebook message. I was able to go to their Facebook page. So I went and looked at their Facebook page and I found a picture of who they were dating. And I looked at the before pictures of when they first met and how happy and vibrant this woman was to after about six to eight months. And I could see the same possessive body language and the joy and love out of her new person's life. And I almost, I wanted to send her a message, the new girlfriend, to let her know that there was help, etc. And, you know, because of my experience, I did become a volunteer at the National Domestic Violence Hotline. I have worked with the Centers for Bettered Women. I have worked with um, rape crisis centers. And, you know, even in the training, there is not a lot of training out there for same sex assault and violence. So I don't think I'm gonna be able to find it. But anyway, after my brother passed away, Two years ago, I got another message from her and she says, I'm sorry about the loss of your brother. He was a very nice person, you know, because she did know my brother. And then she says, I just want you to know that you ruined my life. You ruined my life and broke my heart in a million pieces and you're still a bitch because I didn't respond. Actually, she added that later. You're still a bitch. And this is, I really, I want to stress this. I was 17 when I met her. I'm 57 now, so that message was probably two years ago when I was 55. That's almost 40 years that this woman is still latched on in a part of her mind and still trying to cause havoc. In me thinking about this, I actually was like, I think this is why I don't post on Facebook anymore. I don't post anything on my personal page anymore. I stopped because I'm not friends with her. And I guess she's maybe because she was able to send me a message, she still could do that or because I've read it. I'm not really sure. But anyway, I, I don't use my full name on social media now. And, you know, at some point, why do I, all these years later, when I have a beautiful life, I have amazing friends, I've met amazing people, why am I still living in fear of someone? And I think that's what people don't understand. It's not irrational. It's not irrational to think that this person could show up 
where I live now and be even more crazy now. And I'm not using the word crazy in a bad way, but she was definitely crazy about our relationship and she could show up. Fortunately, you know, my husband's here, so I think I have some protection. But, you know, when I think about teenage years from 17 to 20, I missed out on a lot. One, I didn't grieve for my mother because I had this more immediate dangerous situation. So I had a lot of stuff to deal with in my late 20s, 30s, and 40s. So that's basically my story in a nutshell. And if you would like to ask questions for any clarification, I'm happy to. Well, first of all, I just want to ask, um, are you doing okay? And do you want to take a break? Because that is such... I am so sorry you had to go through so much trauma. That's so unfair for one person to carry. So are you doing okay? I am. I was actually very scared. You and I have communicated that I didn't know if I was ready. Yeah. But I also know that it's very important because Pride Month is a celebration of the Stonewall riots and we've come so far, you know, that the LGBTQI community, they can get married now, but in this one area, it's not talked about. And there are no shelters for men who are being abused by their male partners and it's, less believed for women on women violence, let alone sexual assault, men on men and women on women. People think it's a fantasy or it's a joke or how could that be? But the same power dynamics are there in same-sex relationships as they are in male and female relationships. I'm actually empowered by the fact <laughs> that I do get to share this. So, you know, it's really, there is healing on the other side of that. And I'm so glad that I never took that one step because really there were two choices and I had two choices. One was harm someone else or harm myself. And at one point I was suicidal, actively thinking of how I would do it because that would be the ultimate damage to this person to lose their prized possession. And I'm glad I didn't do that either. So I feel like I'm relatively healthy and happy. I have a healthy relationship now it's very fun and there's no violence <laughs> at all. Low bar there, but surprisingly, it's not actually <laughs> that low of bar. 
I'm so happy for you that you're doing well. <laughs> so what would you say to fellow LGBTQ survivors of domestic violence? Like what will be the biggest piece of advice or like the one thing that you most would want them to know? Today, fortunately, there are hotlines and there are resource centers. So please, if you cannot talk to any of your friends or your family, please call a hotline, whether it's a suicide hotline or a rape crisis hotline or domestic violence hotline, especially the National Domestic Violence Hotline. They are trained to understand all the dynamics and the different ways that violence shows up in people's relationships. And if you could reach into a magic bag full of glitter and create a new resource for LGBTQ survivors of domestic violence, what would this resource be? What do we need most? For people to share their stories, like I am, <laughs> so that people can hear and understand that we aren't making this up and that it starts for teenagers. It happens in college. Same-sex violence happens at all ages. And for parents to accept your child and if they change their grades or their behaviors and become distant, most likely, if it's not drugs, they are probably in some type of abusive controlling relationship. Once again, guys, thank you so much for joining me. And once again, I know this is Pride Month, so you know we kind of all have these issues on the brain, but even after Pride Month is over, we still need to show up for people who are LGBTQIA. We wanna give them a space where they can be who they are without fear of repercussions, especially for survivors, all right? And for survivors out there, here are some resources, especially for you. Now, of course, you can call the National Domestic Violence Helpline. That is totally fine. They are trained to help. But there is also an LGBT National Helpline as well. The number is 1-888-843-4564. They also have a line for LGBT youth that is up to the age of 25, and that is 1-800-246-7743. If you can't call, you need to email. They do have an email. It is help at lgbthotline.org. Once again, help at lgbthotline.org. And if you have questions, comments, concerns, or inspirational stories about anything you hear on the podcast, please write in at thediviscussion at gmail.com. We are also on a multiple plethora of 
Social media channels, if it exists, we're probably on it at the DV Discussion. Instagram, Facebook's our big ones. We have two private groups now, a triathlon group and a private community group. So check those out. We would love to have you. We all have stories and they deserve to be heard. I'll see you next time and happy pride. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also visit their website, thehotline.org. If you identify as an abuser or a word you might be an abuser, please call the hotline as well. They'll be able to help you. Please remember, you're not alone.